Um, so thank you. So I wanted to follow what Sensei Miao invited us to um, with an uh, invitation from Kalu Rinpoche. He said, make of yourself a light. Make of yourself a light. I used to hear from Buddha's long lost lips each day as I woke before dawn in this mountain hermitage, the five peak jeweled mountains, Kachinjuga, tower over the Darjeeling horizon, as I start a fire for tea and prepare my morning prayers. Make of yourself a light. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? And yet it's so difficult. And so this is what a, a, this is what a, um, a quite famous spiritual teacher and meditator said, actually Rabbi Alan Liu. After 20 minutes of yoga, 45 minutes of meditation, 40 minutes of prayer, a half hour of exercise and a half hour bath, I felt pretty good for a few minutes. <laughs> and and so so holding those two um, realities of making ourselves a light and the reality of all that effort and sometimes it only has a few minutes to show or all that effort and we find ourselves still driven by anxiety and um, and the um, different conditions that we find ourselves in. A year ago about a piece of herniated disc chipped off in my back and floated up my spine and lodged against the L3, L4 nerves. And I was in excruciating pain. And um, I, I, um, I saw some uh, specialists and they said, well, you know, you, you never know, sometimes the body might reabsorb the chip, so let's see. And so I hung out in bed for um, two months and then came to the place of, I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of pain, I think I want surgery. And had surgery and it, it um, my healing prognosis, my, the surgeon said, you should be fine, you should be walking um, a mile in a couple of weeks. And it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening. And I went to see another specialist, and mm. he said, you have permanent nerve damage, get used to it. Mm. And um, I, I, say, I say this because I can't tell you how many times I would wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning, and the first thought was, Am I going to walk again? Or who, should I see another healer? Or um, maybe there's a supplement I could take. Or that it was as though my mind was gripped in the, you know those big machines when, they build, when they're um, building a new street? 
that like claws, you know, and they kind of go down into the earth. And that's what it felt like. It felt like I had this big machine in my mind, you know, and it was sort of rattling with this, this um, challenge of, oh my God, what's going to happen? And all this fear. That might be uh, not extreme for us, but one of the more challenging situations that we face. But certainly not unique. We all at some point will face the, the challenges of our body or the challenges of, of intimacy or the challenges of a parent dying. <clears throat> Given that reality, how do we make light? What was Kalu Rinpoche talking about? Where is that capacity to find light and make light when we find our minds in situations like that? And when I see it, the single most important thing, and sometimes it takes a while to remember, the single most important thing is the understanding that it's possible to live with a damaged back and not feel anxiety. That anxiety isn't necessarily hooked into the condition. That sounds so simple, and yet the Buddha and Kali Rinpoche are unequivocal that it doesn't matter what condition we're facing. And it doesn't matter what trauma we have faced, that we actually have the possibility of working what's going on so that we can come to a place of making our own light. Just that, even if we don't know how, but just that leap of faith of, oh my God, this condition doesn't mean I need to be anxious is the most important first radical step that we can take. And it is a liberationist step, and it is a revolutionary step. What is the definition of revolution or liberation? It's seeing that we are not a victim to the conditions that we find ourselves in, no matter what the condition, that we are not enslaved. That is radical. to acknowledge I'm caught and I want to find a way out is already the first step. The Buddha said it, and I said it at the beginning of this day, that whenever there is anxiety, whenever there is fear, whenever there is um, a lack of moral, a, a lack of morality, he says shamelessness, there is always delusion. I like, uh, um, I like this image because it's happened to me so much in my, when my, before my operation when I was hiking. Um, you know, I used to live in Mendocino and um, I would hike in the forests. I mean, I would hike in the hills and you'd be hiking. And there have been many times when I've been hiking and I've come across a rattlesnake sunning. 
you know. And in every situation when I've come across a rattlesnake snake sun, sunning, um, I have never ever experienced the snake rearing its head preparing to strike. I've never experienced that. It's always just been really sleepy and I've <laughs> avoided it and walked along. And that doesn't mean to say that I've walked along the path so many times and seen a stick in the shape of a snake and immediately gone into fear. Oh my God, it's a snake. And I can feel my whole body go into that preparation, right? Of fright and flight. And then as I stop and I peer more carefully, I see, oh, it's a, oh, it's a stick. And immediately the body relaxes. We walk through our life as though the stick was a snake. And that's the anxiety that we live with. And that's what the Buddha is saying when he says, how you are perceiving the world when there's anxiety is misperceiving the stick as a snake. That we are not seeing that it's a stick. If we actually so I, I won't go into that right now. So, so then how, if we take that as a reality, it means that we have the single most important tool at our disposal. And that is our capacity to challenge how we're thinking about the problem. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I'm being clutched. It means I'm misperceiving the situation. How can I do it differently? That question is immediately brings us into the practice of being revolutionaries and liberationists. How can I do this differently? The next practice is actually dropping the whole storyline. It doesn't matter how seductive it is. So, you know, that I saw the great specialist who said, no, that's it, you, you know, get used to it, you're not going to get better, that's it, that's life, that's reality. Drop the storyline. Drop the storyline. That's the practice that we've been doing all day is dropping the storyline because we can't see whether it's a snake or a stick until we've dropped the pre preconception. There, there is no way we can come to ourselves with caring and love unless we drop the storyline. Anxiety precludes love and caring. If we are committed to that vision of caring and loving ourselves, we are committed to dropping every negative storyline we find ourselves thinking as delusion and ignorance and a misperception of reality. It's profound. It's profound because we ourselves have inherited a <coughs> culture of negativity around ourselves as the community that we are. And we know, and we know that our healing as GLBTQISGL, <laughs> we know that our well-being depends on us challenging those internalized messages. But it isn't just around our particular expression. It is around our whole being as well. 
that every negative thought or every negative conditioning that we have taken on unconsciously is not true. The Buddha likens it to carrying a dead carcass around our neck. He says, attachment, he calls it to the ego. Attachment to the ego, which are these negative constructions, is like carrying around a dead, rotting carcass. It stinks, you know, and that's what we're doing. And the thing is, it's because we've forgotten, we've forgotten that we have the capacity to take it off, to let go of those storylines and thoughts. When we come to an open place without that, without that storyline, the next thing that happens is that we have the possibility of coming into the body and feeling the tightness and the trembling and the shaking. And the reason we practice mindfulness in more neutral places is to bring that slightly stronger or much stronger mindfulness to these places and to say, tightness, I'm here for you. And to allow the tightness and hardness to be there, to allow the trembling to be there, to allow the clenched jaws to be there, to allow that sense of sort of living from your forehead up, you know, because that's what happens when we're in anxiety, to allow that to be there just as a physical experience. If we can do that over and over again, coming back to safe places like the breath, coming back to the feet, going back to the trembling and tightness, coming back to safe places like sound and the feet, we actually heal some, we heal some place where that anxiety is rooted in our body and mind. That's how it's healed. And when it comes round again, it comes round one degree less intensely. One tooth of those big jaws has been filed away. The perseverance, which is what um, Rabbi, um, Rabbi Alan Liu was talking about, the perseverance is to be patient, to know that every time we do that, something is happening and something is happening. And after a while, we see that it doesn't have a grip on us. And we're like, wow, wow, I feel actually in that space where I'm not gripped so much, I feel more love. I feel more love for myself. Every challenge that we can meet in this way, we actually open up the field of love. I, I, um, applied to be a citizen of the United States and I went to the immigration department in Boston, Massachusetts. I was living in Massachusetts and I walked through the doors and I was like, wow, this place is totally permeated with negativity. It was the way every one of those immigration officials related to me was so profoundly shut down and defended. It was intense. And then I have also walked into a field like ours of meditation and safety. And I can feel, just as Sensei Mia was talking about, I can feel, feel some kind of ease that begins to happen in relaxation. 
the field of love and presence is the field where healing takes place. And so this challenge that we're on is to let go of whatever takes us away from the field of love and presence. What takes us away from the field of love and presence are our negative thoughts and beliefs that we actually cannot heal. So, This is what Antonio Machado said, and I know some of you know this poem. It's one of my favorite poems. Last night as I was sleeping, last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error, that a spring was breaking out in my heart. I said, along which secret aqueduct, O water, are you coming to me, water of a new life that I have never drunk? Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error that I had a beehive. Here inside my heart, and the golden bees were making white cones and sweet honey of my old failures. Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error that a fiery sun was giving light inside my heart. It was fiery because I felt warmth as from a hearth and sun because it gave light and brought tears to my eyes. Last night as I slept I dreamt, marvelous error, that it was God I had here inside my heart. One of the stories that gives me a tremendous amount of support is the story of the Buddha deciding to become a Buddha. When he was a Bodhisattva, or when he was a seeker like us, he was wandering, he wandered into a village and he heard that there was something really special happening and so he stayed, just to make it very short, and um, stayed the night and the Buddha of that time walked down the road and the Bodhisattva was so moved by the presence of the Buddha that it was as though a string drew him to kneel down in front of the Buddha and to say, I vow to become a Buddha too. In that vow that the Bodhisattva saw that he was dedicating himself not to lifetimes, not even to thousands of years. It's said to eons, to becoming a Buddha. And I say that because (coughs) there are many of us who have gone through not just one difficult set of challenges with the anxiety that arises from it, not just two and not just a hundred, but that we have encountered anxiety amongst different conditions over and over and over again. And one of the things that I've, I've really come to, and I've been talking about it a lot actually every time I teach, is that even though the Buddha says not to see anxiety as a problem, 
in some way, because of the frame of seeing it as, well, this is negativity and this isn't true, there's always been this subtle rejection of the anxiety, like, you know, you're not part of myself, as Sensei Mio talked about, you're, you're not self, or you're just obscuring my heart, so can't you just go away, you know, and leave me? And what, I, what I've seen is that actually my anxiety is a form of love, that even though it's misperceiving reality, it is in that misperception trying to protect me. And in that self-protection, there is caring and love there. It is actually the only tools I've had to protect myself, the only tools we've had to protect ourselves. It could be anxiety and it could be depression. It could be anger and rage. It could be hopelessness. It could be envy and jealousy. It could be desire and obsession. It could be any of those things as ways that we um, have been given because those are the cultural expressions to defend ourselves in such challenging environments. When we see it that way, it's really helpful as, as um, an invitation to really acknowledge and respect those defenses. So even though I am diligent about dropping the storyline, I am deeply respectful that the anxiety is there. And so when I feel the anxiety in my body, there is this invitation, thank you. I know <coughs> it is really uncomfortable, profoundly uncomfortable, or envy, or jealousy, or rage, or obsession. And I know that really you are trying to take care of me. I don't have to believe you because I don't, I know you don't see how things are truly and I can also honor you because I'm alive in this moment. So seeing that these energies are actually energies that are the tools we've had to use to survive, and then understanding that the purification process takes eons, or at least a lifetime. You know, maybe we're speedier than the Buddha. The Buddha took eons. And, and I say that because what that means is that every single condition, and t tell me if this isn't your reality, every single condition that you face that's, that's endangering, <coughs> that you experience is endangering, we go through the whole cycle. It's not like having gone through it, somehow the next time we don't go through it again. We do. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing that we have to, for whatever reason, we have to keep going through it. The difference is we have many more skills. There's much more companionship. There's much less judgment. 
there's more ease. Oh, I understand what's going on. It's okay. Oh, I'm caught in the grip again. It's okay. So there's more understanding and compassion. We go through it over and over again because each condition that generates this response is the invitation for a purification of some aspect of ourself. So it's like a diamond, and every prism facet of that diamond has to be cleaned. I say that because it's easy to begin to dismiss our efforts because we find ourselves going through the cycle over and over again. But rarely, because we do, doesn't mean anything other than this is another prism. And really, I, I know and my teachers will refer to only one teacher who's fully enlightened, who clearly had cleaned all her prisons, and that is Deepama. So, really, you know, we're in good company. <laughs> you know, we're all on the same road of cleaning facet after facet after facet, and that's the nature of it. It reminds me of what Angela Davis said about Obama, and not to get too political, but she said, um, you know, we kind of handed him the plate. You know, we handed him the, we didn't keep on doing the work we needed to do. And that's really an invitation for us that there's no way to skip over doing the work that we need to do. That doesn't mean vacations aren't good. They're very good. If you want to go to the Caribbean for a week and forget all about anxiety, invite me along. <laughs> so, of course, we can take breaks in all the ways that we take breaks and to know that we are on a lifelong journey. So... Um, thank you so much. Thank you for your vision, for your efforts, for your practice, and especially thank you for your courage. Thank you for your listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.